Go Late Selects, brought to you by Sky. Watch new, exclusive, and unmissable content only on Sky. Go late! Can we tell you, by the way, heat wave me hoop. I'm in the west of Ireland and it's raining. But is it hot rain? Oh, it's it's always hot where I am, I know. Let's do it! Welcome, good people, to another episode of Go Lad Select, episode 13, just to annoy people who don't like uh, podcasts being numbered. <laughs> Simon Delaney and Aiden Power here. This is a Go Loud original, a Go Loud production, and it is brought to you by Sky Ireland. I hope, seeing as you're on your holiday, Simon, you don't have to pick me up on any point there. And actually- You got that absolutely spot on. I'm very proud of you. Well done. Well done. You're welcome. So how's your, is it your, your holidays? Uh, you're down west with the family? We're over in the Western County Mayo enjoying uh, the hospitality that the West of Ireland has to offer here. Yeah, it's actually great. We're having a great time. We're here for another couple of days. So uh, happy days. And it's warm, but it's not sunny. It's not raining. Yeah. So like that's good, but it's not good. Yeah, it's all right. It's all good. Listen, we're not at home. It's great, but we're still working because I'm here with you, baby. Hot days and sweaty nights. I hope at least you have the aircon in the hotel. That could be the name of my biography. Hot days and sweaty nights. <laughs> right. Our first recommendation, <laughs> recommendation this week comes from uh, Sky. It's a Sky original and many will know it because it's hugely popular. It's just coming back for its third season. That is the return of Breeders starring the brilliant Martin Freeman and also the equally brilliant, if not better, Daisy Haggard. Um, Simon, for a show to be coming back for a third season, uh, getting the second season is is good fortune. Coming back for a, a third season is obviously a clear indication that it's doing well. Absolutely. And I, I, I'm ashamed to say I've never dipped into it. And I've seen the answer. And every time I see the answer, I go, geez, yeah, I must go back on that. And now that there's a third season, there's a bank of episodes there with seasons one and two that I have to go into. You're dead right when you say Martin Freeman. I'd watch the man reading the phone book. I love him as an actor. I think he's brilliant. Um, but for to be honest, third run, Mm-hmm. Yes, the audiences are obviously loving it, and equally so, the critics are obviously loving it. But why wouldn't they? Apparently, like it looks great through the trailers, um, and it's got a cracking cast. So I'm actually going to go back right to the start and dive in. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. I may do it too, because I've, I've seen plenty of the ads. I mean, oh, I must put that on the list because <laughs> I know, I know. The, the list is growing. Uh, well, this is kind of Martin Freeman's baby because he's co-creator of this show yeah. that's about him and, and his wife and their two parents and they're struggling with the, the usual elements of parenthood. Uh, apparently, it's actually based on some of Freeman's own experiences and why wouldn't it be? <laughs> I'd well believe it. It's that kind of parental paradox, which um, I can't relate to, but I'm sure you can, where, you know, at that very same moment, you love your child oh absolutely the end of the earth but also you would like to send them to the end of the earth in that same moment as well it's incredible it's that it's that real for me it's a real explanation of what love is where you would absolutely die for somebody but by jesus they annoy the hell out of you yeah <laughs> comic uh, show about parenting yeah which is um you know there's been a few shows like that on sky lately we were talking about the baby last week so yeah uh, seems to be a good genre for them and it's uh it's- but as you say Ado, if it's if it's on its third run i mean look people love this show and you and i are going to have to dive in from episode one and catch up with this thing because i'd say i'd say there'll be more than season three well, I have just cleaned my slate, so to speak, because I finally finished. Well, I say finally. It was with great sadness and regret. I finished yeah. the offer last oh, night we, we well. on this podcast and we will continue to do so until every oh, single yeah. person watches it. 
It should be compulsory. It is so damn good. I was genuinely sad last night when it ended. I know. I was losing friends. Do you know what I did when I finished today, though? I went straight back to episode one. You're rewatching. I rewatched it already. I've already watched it twice. Wow. I'm telling you. Well, my, it's my, so good, isn't it? My, my next move is to sit down now and watch The Godfather. Have you never seen The Godfather? No, of course I've seen it, but now I can watch it in the context of knowing. You can. Uh, and you can also watch it. As, as to how the film was made and all the different um, people who were yeah, involved. Exactly. Yeah. And it's also very apt to watch it this week because we lost Santino Corleone himself, Jamie Kahn. And we lost Paulie Walnuts from The Sopranos as well. What a week for mobster movies. And it's also the 50th anniversary year of The Godfather. So I will watch that and then we'll get on to Breeders just for a little bit of balance. We should, but I think we should absolutely recommend the offer every week from here until we finish doing this show, which will be about 2027. Breeders, season three, available on Sky. Get on it. Uh, Martin Freeman, great cast, great writing, looks the business. And me and Aiden have some homework to do to go back to the start of episode one. Don't do this, mate. Don't do it. It doesn't help. You go in there, you scream, they cry, you hate yourself. Breathe. Talk to them. Do it better, Paul. Be better. Jesus fucking Christ! How many times do I have to tell you to be quiet? Well, after his no-show last week, we've double-booked him this week for a bumper bonanza episode of Brian Lloyd from entertainment.ie for uh, two very good reasons. One, you're your, your regular slot, Brian, and that's to talk about what is in the cinemas this week and if it's worth going to see. So, welcome. You've brought your notes. Uh, I did. We'll read it to Simon in a while yeah, as to why you couldn't note, show up last yeah. week. My sick note, yeah. And actually, in fairness, I was actually doing the junket for the film that I'm due to talk about this week. Yeah, yeah, and- yeah. Well, I'm being serious. It was t- yeah, 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 yeah. In future, I want you to do with me a photograph yourself at the screening. Yeah, I need proof. We, we actually there physically meeting the cast of this movie, no. which we will mention. Uh, or is it? Is it all still on? It's all still on Zoom. Yeah. In so fact, you're in your jocks and your gaff. I was in my jocks and my gaff, and in a waiting room, basically, like I say, a waiting room, a virtual room, right, a room. virtual waiting room. Yeah. And um, yeah, and and there actually, are a lot of rules. Like you have to be oh on mute, and so many. Like you have to turn your phone off. Um, your background has to be no personal photos of any kind. Of, no, no, no. There's serious rules about or it. Or any like, political leanings or Anything like that, yeah. Stuff. There's all sort of like rules about what you can have in your background. And then on top of that, then you have to sign like non-disclosure agreements to say that you won't use this interview for anything else. The interview must be film focused and all this kind of crap. Like, <laughs> like kind of crap. Well, no, but seriously, <laughs> like, I think if you think that's bad, right? I remember when, movie people with their no, but like when Tom Cruise was over for Oblivion, you should have actually seen the prerequisites we had for our interviews with him. Like, I'm not cutting you. War and peace levels of like, yeah, stuff. the phone book of rules. Oh, just see. All right, can I can I explain why that might, those rules might be in place? Oh, sure. Is it because sure the actors are up their own asses? <laughs> well, here's the thing, right? And in, in defense of the actors' union, right? That all that bullshit has nothing to do with the actor, right? Because oh, no, the know. people who are making that movie. That's the only movie they're making that year. That is their world. And it is everyone on that movie is their job to sell that movie. So if you've got 10 minutes with Tom Hanks, you're not going to ask him about what was it like shoot Castaway, uh, tell us about Philadelphia, you know, what was it? It's about you, Tom, you're coming on here to sell our movie. 
They're not coming on to talk to you about your life. You're not getting a, a long-form Parkinson kind of interview. You're going on there, brother, to sell this movie because that's the reason we paid you 15 to $20 million to be in it, so you'd sell it. Would that be right, Bri? No, you're absolutely... I mean, that is very, very accurate, yeah. I mean, oh. they want it to be film-focused. And that's that's not the problem. Like that's There is no problem. Do they no. take questions beforehand? No, they don't. Okay, well, that's something. All right, well, let's get to I this. insist on that, Brian, don't I? Oh, yeah, you, Simon. Yeah, I remember I had to interview Simon for The Conjuring too. Prima Donna. Like, he had... Like, I couldn't look him directly in the eye. No. Uh, I had to give him all my questions beforehand. <laughs> yes. He sat on this big golden gilded chair. Correct. And I, had a little, I had my little microphone Correct. on the bench. And I right. like like lean lean my microphone up to reach him, and then he'd just give me like two word answers. He'd be just like, "Correct." And if memory serves me correctly, you asked six questions, and he only chose to answer two. Yeah, and this was it. And he had sunglasses on and a bowl of soup in his hand as well. He's like, oh, "Jesus!" Yeah. They were the last years, but you've come back down to earth since then, Simon. <laughs> have you? <laughs> now look at you. Oh, right, dear, you- dear this week brian that had you uh, absent last week from this podcast to meet the cast the railway children return yes <laughs> actually now both of you are over vintage um <laughs> no, but, but, no but, but come on like, let's 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 call it space. word vintage implies we're all right do any of you remember rusty fi- right well then you remember the film the railway children <laughs> i remember yes, I- being out but i don't think i ever saw it because it was yeah. just not on my radar it's oh, was that, to me it was that chocolate yeah, no, box english countryside story correct correct and right simon yeah a big countryside story and set in england very very sweet the kind of film that would be on a sunday afternoon at yeah. like three o'clock and you'd probably watch half an hour with it, and your granny would probably fall asleep watching it or something like that. Oh. Very, very kind of staid. And, no, but like, it, it, the thing of it is... Tween Holtzman. Tween Holtzman, there you go. Thank you. Am I right in saying Jenny Agatha was about five, was she? That's correct. And in fact, funny you should mention Jenny Agatha, because she's come back for this one. So oh, what's Lord. going on in this one is, is, if you remember, the first one was set... <laughs> Uh, on the lead up to World War One, this one is set at the end of World War Two, and it's the same kind of premise again. Essentially, what happened was during the war um, in World War Two, they uh, basically evacuated children out of the country. So, mm. like people from like Manchester and Coventry and all these places, they were basically packed on trains and sent out of the country because Germans yeah, were. They had their little lunch boxes and their gas masks. There's some incredible archive footage yeah. of that kids being put on trains in in the various stations in London and those other cities. And you mentioned to be sent to the countryside, five, six, seven years of age, and being shown how to put on gas masks. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, and not only that as well, separated from their parents. Mm. In some cases as well, they actually had to kind of like. There's a scene at the start when they're all brought into this community hall and they're basically like kind of picked and sent to houses and stuff like that. Like it was pretty, I'm not saying it was brutal, but like it's pretty like, you're like, wow, it's like almost like a cattle market. Kind of mm. But that's just how it was done back then. But um, so anyways, these three kids um, from Manchester wind up with uh, Jenny Agarter, who was in the original one. And she's very kind of aware of the fact that like, you know, these kids are going through a lot. I did this myself you know, 50 years ago or whatever, so we have to be extra nice okay, to Okay, so it's it's kind of a deja vu, deja vu, deja vu, deja vu experience for her character. She yes. did it when she was a kid, and there was another war, and now more kids need Correct. to do it. Exactly, okay, so yeah. Is it a bit too similar to the first one? I mean, it's what they, like, it's what they call a legacy sequel, in the right. same way that, like, you know, Creed uh, is very much a legacy sequel of Rocky, and yeah, yeah, you know, like it's 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 become a kind of a bit of a trope now at the minute that they're taking these films that were like 40, 50 years old and then 
you know, didn't never got a sequel, and then now to suddenly making a sequel after so many years. And um, is it aimed at the same audience, Brian, in terms of age group? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, right. this would be exactly the kind of film that you could bring your mammy, your granny, and it's completely like hamster friendly. Yeah, totally. Like, I mean, it's it's like it's a very very nice film. It's a very very hard film to critique for the simple reason that it's so kind of sweet and so sort of. Uh, nostalgic and old school that mm. I mean it has I mean it looks gorgeous I will say that like the cinematography and all that beautiful like you know Yorkshire the, the Yorkshire countryside looks gorgeous and it's even kind it's of it's inoffensive but- Brian would that be fair I was brought here from London when I was a little girl and it was a big change look at all the stars you can see let's play a game hide and seek coming ready or not is there any jeopardy to drive the story along i mean is there the threat of war the threat of the blitz that they might be bombed and killed and that there is yeah so the kind of the subplot if you like is about this uh young american soldier played by kj akins and i didn't i had heard a little bit about this but i wasn't actually realized it was so kind of um full on uh when american gis were in england right they enforced segregation between black and white soldiers and black soldiers weren't allowed to fraternize with uh, white American soldiers. So what the black soldiers used to do was they used to go into like the English pubs or whatever. And of course, the English people would just welcome them in and I hear have a point to sit down and blah, 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 blah. But American uh, MPs, military police were going around breaking up like, you know, mixed race couples and stuff like this, like and, you know, taking the lads off or whatever, because they were enforcing segregation. And what happens in this one is, is this young soldier basically uh, tries to desert because it turns out that he was actually like way too young to join the army. And when he's actually kind of confronted with the racism in the American, <clears throat> he decides he doesn't want to do it anymore. And he's hiding out in this railway shed and the young kids are basically helping him try to get away and all this. And then he's found by the American military and this mm. whole thing. But um, okay. and that's kind of and that is a sort of a, a sort of a deja vu. It's actually a very interesting topic, though, for a movie, isn't it, Brian? It because is. I mean, how how idiotic is that premise that a fella that's gonna you're gonna be standing beside in the trench whose life is gonna your life is gonna depend on him? You're sent down the town to make him stop talking to 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 white people. Like that's utterly ridiculous. Yeah, I mean that's it. I mean that's the thing of it. Like it's also kind of strange and weird to look at it from a modern audience. Yeah. But it was quite common apparently it was very it was very very common like there were riots and stuff like that when it happened yeah well you're talking like you're still talking you know 20 years before civil civil rights rights and segregation was properly dealt with at a governmental federal level in america and bringing in the civil rights act in the 60s and things like that and like to be fair like i mean for a film like this that is certainly i was going into it thinking that it was going to be quite inoffensive and quite sort of twee and nice and gentle and all this kind of thing it does have some hard edges yeah but in saying that, it's very like, of course, everything's going to work There's going to be a happy ending. Of course, yeah. Like, of course, it's going to happy end. Of course, everything's going to work out. That's okay. But that's fine. I yeah. mean, that's it. Like, it, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I think it's a very nice film. Like, and I, th- that sounds like I'm, I'm kind of slagging it or making it seem worse than it is. That's not the case. It's just a lovely film. Like. Who impressed you most in the film? And then also, did they live up to it when you interviewed them from your bedroom in your jocks? <laughs> um, who impressed me the most? I would say um, Tom Courtney actually was very, he was very good and he plays this like sort of home office. Um, awfully, awfully. Awful, 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 yes. Uh, civil servant type that actually helps out the kids getting this uh, soldier away. And then when I interviewed him, he was uh, not quite so impressive. I think like, to be really? fair, like, 
like okay right I, I i have i always have sympathy for actors when they're doing these junkets because it doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter how much i prepare it doesn't matter no. how unique my question is it doesn't matter how well i phrase it chances are they've been asked that question 20 times before i get they are as dull as dishwater, those things. I remember Michael Gambon famously would make up answers and try and send reporters off with what they thought was exclusives. Like he would say, he would say, yeah, well, you know, while researching this role, role I, you know, I relied, relied back on my training from the Welsh, Welsh National Ballet. And they'd say, oh, really? You, you, you trained as a ballet dancer? Yeah, I absolutely did. Yeah. And of course he didn't. But the reporter went away and thinking they had an exclusive and Gambon got a fucking laugh out of it. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I remember that. That was like he was doing. I think he talked about that when he was at Top Gear, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. There's probably all sorts of games because it happens even within television shows and other things like that, where there's a certain level of I won't say boredom, but yeah, like you're trying giddiness. to energize the crew and have yeah. a bit of crack. So there might be Simon. You might be familiar with this yeah. certain word that there'll be a challenge throughout the course of a, a live. Correct. Yeah, one has to say a particular word. I remember playing that particular game myself with them. Um, Catherine Thomas when we presented Winning Streak is as unprofessional as it is, but the mm. uh, you know, you just pick a random word like microwave or pineapple. And the the easiest place, I mean it was it was a slam dunk, the easiest place to get away with it or drop that word in was usually when a contestant had won some big amount of money for doing nothing, for picking a number and opening a box. And you go, Mary, 20 grand pineapples. And she'd be like, I won 20 what pineapples? And she'd have this kind of confused look and you'd be cheering. Yeah, pineapples. Yeah. <laughs> My and friend we- used to challenge me with that all the time. I don't remember one time I was on the Late Late Show and they said to me, try and get the word duodecahedragon into us. A duodecahedragon, which is a, apparently is a ten or twelve sided shape, I don't know, but uh, and they they bet me quite a few quid that I couldn't get into a conversation in the late late, and uh, oh, I was asked a question about what was coming up, and I said, "Well, I'm doing it, and you play with them." Yeah, it's a it's a great play, brand new production company called Duodecahedragon Productions. <laughs> nice. Was this Pat Petty? I can't remember, but I I can't remember, but I won the bet. Well, uh, that's a pretty impressive word that's to, good, get right, in, yeah. to get into conversation, not least live on the Late Late Show. All right, so Brian, um, and more you want to tell us about this film, or is it time to crack open the Terry's Chocolate Orange and award it its score? I will crack open the Terry's Chocolate Orange. Final answer. Final answer. I will award this. It's out of 20. It's out of 20. I want to say 15 out of 20. Jesus, that's not bad. Three out of five. That's 15 times better than Downton Abbey the movie. We're still going on about Downton Abbey. Yeah, well, that's the scale I'm measuring yeah, around. It'll always be the benchmark, won't it? Yeah. yeah. It's like, times better than Downton Abbey. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, to be fair, like, I mean, it, it's, it's of a similar ilk in that, like, it's a very yeah. nice and twee period drama. The difference between Downton Abbey and this is that... It's not shite. It's not shite. And something actually <laughs> happens in this. Something actually happens in this film. So as British period dramas go... I mean, Grant, it's, it's, it's as run as the mill as you can get. If you saw it on ITV2 on a Saturday afternoon yeah. and go off and watch it and you'll have a you'll have a nice little time you'll have a nice little warm cup of tea or whatever it's better than doing that right okay so, there we go okay sounds like perhaps when the weather turns because it will again maybe that's when you drag the kids to the cinema yeah sure why not yeah i mean yeah, it's like yeah if you had to bring your granny with you as well she'd enjoy it as well put it that way like it's yeah it's very nice it's very it's very yeah, it's it's. I can't say any more about it. Like, no, but it's yeah, grand, like. yeah. But um, what you're saying is, don't forget your granny. No, in don't. all of this, please don't. No. Okay, <laughs> don't leave her behind. We need to go. It's now or never. You've got to be joking. You want to get on that train, don't you? Go, go, go! This is as fast as it goes. It's a tractor. 
So, Brian, while we have you here, we have you here for an extended period this week because we have the door locked and you are currently handcuffed to the office chair you're sitting in. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought we'd take a deep dive into the world of biopics, uh, and particularly musical biopics, because you recently reviewed it and Miss Evanado uh, both recently seen it as well, which was the Elvis movie. And we all kind of had similar uh, thoughts about it in terms of brilliant movie, uh, brilliant central performance, Tom Hanks, meh, kind of. But it got us thinking about the role and the place that the musical biopic has not just now but in days gone by because this movie this current elvis movie is well on its way to becoming one of the most successful musical biopics and it probably will come award season so we thought we'd dive into that and talk about favorite biopics that we've we might have seen and also i'd love to touch on musical biopics that haven't been done yet like there are a couple of obvious ones out there that i think haven't been done yet and should be done and maybe there there have been failed attempts already in terms of getting it to script stage or whatever or having such and such a person ready to cast to play the person and then they fell out um but maybe we might start with favorites of favorites of each other what ones stick out? <laughs> um, you were actually talking about, and we'll get into this later on, but in terms of like musical biopics that we want to see, I have been hanging from a tree. Why has there not been a musical biopic made of Marvin Gaye? I'd love to know why that is. Because like, he has such a kind of rich and interesting life, and like the way that he died was so tragic. It seems like it's the perfect idea. I'm thinking that if I were not musical, if I didn't have talent, musical talent somewhat, I'd probably enjoy being a doctor. We'll, we'll circle back to that. Mm. Um, favorite musical biopic. Um, believe it or believe it not, prior to seeing Elvis, one of my favorite musical biopics was John Carpenter's version of Elvis that was played by Kurt Russell. He did things to an audience no performer had ever done before. He electrified millions on television, on the Hollywood screen, but most of all, in person. I'll sing a song for you. His name was Elvis. He was a legend, an idol. Fantastic. It is honestly one of Kurt Russell's best performances. Yeah, he was phenomenal as Elvis. Phenomenal in it. And it got it in such a way that, you know, like, I mean, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis did it as well, I think, but it really kind of got like the intensity that Elvis had in and of himself, that he was so kind of self-critical at points and that he really was trying to kind of hype himself up and get it going. Like he just had something to prove the entire time. But yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a fantastic one. And it's hard enough to come by. So like if you ever see it like in Terror Records or something like that on a DVD. Or- what I loved about it, Brian, was if memory serves me correctly, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, like, but I thought it dealt with more of the Memphis Mafia. It was about the roadshow around Elvis, wasn't it? That's right, yeah, the roadshow and how he kind of put it together and the idea of, you know, that it was one out of several people that were helping him run it. Yeah. Mafia and all that. But yeah, no, I mean, it's it had a definitely a unique unique take on it. And it's surprising <clears throat> as well because like John Carpenter, I mean, you know, he's known for The Thing, he's known for Escape from New York, he's known for Starman, he's known for Halloween, obviously. Him doing a pretty straight biopic like this was unusual for him. And he did it really, really well. And I always think, like, when you look at John Carpenter's filmography, there's always a sort of sense that, like, he was kind of lumped with horror. Like, if Starman, that film he did with uh, Jeff Bridges and uh, Karen Allen, it was a brilliant film from, like, 1985, I want to say. It was just, like, kind of, like, sci-fi story thing. If that had done well, I would think the trajectory of his career would have changed completely. Um. But to go back to musical biopics, yeah, uh, John Carpenter's Elvis, definitely one to watch. Another yeah. one that I would definitely recommend 
Um, and it seemed like an obvious one, but I just, I mean, I love the singer anyway, and I think it was a brilliantly well done story, is uh, Walk the Line. After that stat you pulled on the bus, the only place you're allowed to speak to me is on stage. Do you understand? What did I do? I don't know. Why don't you ask your big fat shadow? Come on, baby. Come on, baby. Baby, 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 baby. Yes, well, that was going to be an honourable mention for me. Maybe not my number one, but uh, that is an incredible film. That must be, what, nearly 20 years old now? Nearly about that, yeah. Nearly, uh, I want to say 2000, maybe. I'm not sure. I've never seen it. Oh, have you not, Simon? Oh, it's powerful. No, No, you see, two reasons. I'm not a a Johnny Cash fan, and I'm also not a Joaquin Phoenix fan. Interesting. Can you pass that? Can you pass that? I just well the Johnny Cash music never lit any fires for me. I was never a fan, you know. Um, but you know, obviously the movie. I really didn't have a patch on Joe Dolan. Well, this is true. Well, or listen, you... there's no show like a Joe show, and there is no show because there is no Joe. <laughs> I'm surprised uh, about that, Simon. And you can maybe say, well, you shouldn't be, but you know, your dad being in the show bands and all that. Yeah, kind. yeah. No, it just was never on my radar. It never. Um, it never jumped at me. No, I, I, I tell you, I, I'm going to surprise you both with my favorite musical biopic ever. Shall I do that now? Britney Spears, the movie. That's one to be made, and it has to be made. Mm, um, will be made. Yeah. My favorite biop musical biopic of all time is, and it's an oldie. It's a very, very uh, golden oldie. Is the Glenn Miller story? Ooh, now with Jimmy Stewart. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I think that is one of those movies. Uh, That's one of those movies for me. No matter what time of the day it's on, and I see it on the telly, I will watch it from whatever point to the end. And it gets me every time. The music in that, that, well, Glenn Miller, I was a huge Glenn Miller fan, but just the music in the movie, I thought Jimmy Stewart was superb in that movie. And just his story, and again, a tragic end. And I just think it's a beautiful, beautiful movie. It's For me, it's a real, it's a real throwback to, the golden greats, the golden period of, of of Hollywood, you know, the big sets, the big set pieces, the orchestrations, just the way it looked, the colour in the movie. It's it's still my favourite biopic to this time, to this day. Simon, do you have to enjoy jazz or, or swing to enjoy the movie? No, I don't think so. I really don't because it's it's what I love about the movie is it tells you it is it is literally the Glenn Miller story. It tells you how he became who he became because he became the big, biggest music star in the world and he changed music. He created a new sound and that's what the movie's about. It, it tells the story of how he found this new sound because he was spending his time and his days playing in bands and conducting bands, just doing run-of-the-mill stuff, weddings and, you know, gigs and he was bored he was he was bored and was mind with it and he had an idea about this new sound that he wants to create and the new sound it was in his head he just couldn't translate it to paper couldn't couldn't get it and it actually happened almost by accident he he went out on his own eventually he, he raised finance through his family and his friends and you know they put everything into this he got his own orchestra together so he had the Glenn Miller Orchestra <clears throat> he'd hired in a couple of guys to help write orchestrations and they were rehearsing before their first concert and as they were setting up to rehearse, one of the clarinet players, a big 30-piece band they're in the room, they're setting up. One of the clarinet players is setting up. And the guy in front of him moves his chair back. And your man, he catches your man's clarinet and he splits the guy's lip open. And they're down a clarinet. So he says, what are we going to do? He said, well, just put another saxophone in instead of that. Get the saxophone to play the clarinet line. Now, that's what created the new sound because he then ended up layering the different saxophones on top of each other. And right. that's what gave us that battle. 
just amazing. It's hair raising stuff. To watch him create that sound and then to see him become the biggest musical star in the world. I mean, they were playing concerts. It was like the Beatles. He was flying around America to thousands and thousands of people making personal appearances, playing concerts. And then, of course, he gets married. He married his, marries his childhood sweetheart. They have a child. He writes a song for her. He writes a song for the daughter. And then, of course, it has a tragic end. Um, it's just a gorgeous, again, it's one of those movies that no matter what time of the day or night it's on, and I see it on the telly, I'll watch it. It's just beautiful. Mm, a great story. And like you say, with the incomparable Jimmy Stewart at the helm. Yeah, he's fantastic in it. But it actually it, it reminded me of, like, even watching Elvis the other day and, uh, you know, seeing how much Austin, Austin Butler just disappeared into the role in terms of the physicality of Elvis. Jimmy Stewart did the same. Jimmy Stewart didn't play an instrument, but in the movie, you see him playing the trombone, playing the sax, conducting the orchestra. And from a musical point of view, in terms of someone who knows music and can read music and play music, he's flawless doing it. So mm. the same amount of performance or prep in terms of an actor that Austin Butler had to put in, had to go into that. And that's, I don't know when that was made. I think it's late 30s, early 40s. I'm not sure. Uh, and three, the film was made. I'm just reading. And did something. he win an Oscar for it, Aido? Jimmy I think Stewart? he did, yeah. I don't, it's not well, sure. I think he might have done. Have probably. you seen it, lads? Have you, either of you seen oh, it? I've seen I'm, it many, like when I was a kid, probably. Yeah. I know, I'll freely admit it. I never, I mean, I've heard, I've listened to a few Glenn Miller kind of, um, yeah. Songs like Stardust and all that kind of stuff. And there was that other one, um, Little Brown Jug, Chattanooga Choo yeah, Choo. There you go, yeah, and The Lost Patrol and all that. Kind it's of just thing. beautiful. And when you hear that music, it just, it just like, in fact, when I got married, it was my wedding anniversary last week, 17 years married, and I had a big band booked for my orchestra. I handpicked some of the best musicians in the country who I'd worked with over the years and musicals and that. And I said, look, they said, what, what sort of stuff do you want to play, Si? And I said, all the swing stuff, you know, the Sinatra, the Rat Pack stuff. But, and he said, look, there's different generations at the wedding. So when the band struck up about half 10 that night, the first thing they played was, and the dance floor just filled. Mm. Just filled. Just beautiful. I love it. Love it. Little brown jug, baby. Yeah. Mm. And anyone that can uh, title a song, Tuxedo Junction. Exactly. (laughs) And they were all number ones. They were huge hits across the world. Well, on that point of actors um, playing the role of uh, famous, iconic singers and musicians in films, let's talk about the performance of some others. And so for that reason, the one I'm going to pick, and there's probably an element of recency bias to this, I'm going to go with Rocketman and Taron Egerton yeah. in the leading role as Elton John. My name is Elton Hercules John. And I'm an alcoholic. And a cocaine addict. And a sex addict. And a bulimic. Also a shopaholic who has problems with weed, prescription drugs, and anger management. Why are you here now? Well, my dealer was out of town. I thought this seemed like a good alternative. The handful of reasons being, I uh, only recently saw it. I'm not a massive Elton John fan. I know a couple of the hits that get played on the radio. I knew jack shit about the man's life story. Um, I found his life story to be compelling and emotional and brilliantly um, told in the film. And uh, also just the performances of Taron Egerton as he assumed the character of Elton John and all his flamboyancy and frailty I thought was remarkable 
Brian has a curious look on no, his no, face. No, 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 I was, li- I was listening. I was taking it all in. Yeah, no, I mean, he I was is. just kind of like, I was like, oh, this is all yeah. new to me. Yeah, and like the way that like Taron Edgerton played it, I thought was brilliant. Like there was that mm-hmm. real sort of like ferocity almost, you know, mm. that sort of way. Like he, wa- like he just walks around and it's like the air around him is on fire because he just always seems so kind of amped up and angry. But um, no, I mean, my dad is, uh, my dad what, what is uh, a huge Elton John fan. And I grew up listening to like Goodbye Yellowbrook Road and um Honky Chateau and all those kind of stuff. I have them all at home on vinyl and stuff. But um, yeah, no, I mean, I will say like what I loved about Rocket Man, and I would, I'd love to know what you think about this, uh, uh, Simon, is the idea of it almost kind of like interrogated the idea of a musical biopic because it was him like trying, like kind of it. It starts off, of course, him being in therapy or him being an Alcoholics Anonymous, and him having to kind of, um retell his story if if you know that sort of way and he has to kind of come to terms with certain parts of his past or whatever and usually i find with a lot of musical biopics that they really kind of it's it's not biography it's hagiography which is in that it's very very sanitized it's a very very nice yeah. and version of it. like bohemian rhapsody i thought as crowd pleasing and entertaining and as much as everyone loved it and you know rami malik got the oscar for it and all those things it was so sanitized there was an entire segment where they figured out how to do We Will Rock You. I mean, who gives a shit? Do you know what I mean? There was another part of it that was like, they talked about, um, what was that song? Who gives a shit about one of the most iconic pop no, but songs you know what of I mean? all time like, ever. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, like, there's more kind of dramatic moments that you can do. Like, and there was a whole bit about, um, what was that song? Um, I'm in love with my car. Again, okay, great song. But like, do we really need? But leave it to Richie Cavanagh. Is that what you're saying? Well, like, is that the name of the song? I'm driving my car. I'm in love with my car. Whatever. The one I there's a Queen song called "I'm in love with my car." All right. And time to Google. And yeah, everyone get the everyone get the phone out there. Yeah, I am right. And it was. I think the big problem, Bri, with musical biopics is that. Is See, the, yes, uh, I'm getting nods from I'm getting nods from everyone. I'm yeah. in love with my car. There you go. Yeah, and it was a, there was a bit there was a moment in the film where they just diverted to talk about I'm in love with my car, which is again not a well known Queen song, but like yeah. the a machine like, of a dream, such a clean machine with the pistons a pumping and the hubcaps all gleam. Yeah, anyway, yeah, they did it better in Greece. Anyway, um, I think the big problem, Brian, with musical biopics is where do you start? Like, yeah. what is the focus of the film? Is it the focus of the film? how the band was put together uh, is the focus of the film, how they changed music is the focus of the film about the lead singer and the relationship between him and the drummer or him and the whatever. I think, I think particularly with careers like Elton John, because they're so long and same with Elvis, like what, what portion of the life are you telling? Are you telling the story of when they, how they were born or right up to when they died? Are you telling the story of, you know, from when they were born to when they died? Or are you focusing on a certain point of the story? Um, because otherwise, I think they just become jukebox musicals. And it's just right. mu- fans of the music going to see that show. I think it's far more interesting when you're finding about uh, finding out about the person. That's why I liked this as Elvis, because mm-hmm. we found out about what those late years of Elvis was like in terms of traveling within that circus that was his, his, his troupe. Yeah, um, that's why I like Glenn Miller because it tells how he became what he became and how he changed music. And why I like the new version of Elvis is because it told us the relation between him and Tom Parker. Although there was a lot missed out there with a musical biopic, it's it's where the hell do we start? What's the hook? As you say, you know, when you start in therapy and it's the person narrating the story, that's fine. But where where at what point do you jump in on the story? You know, well, like <clears throat> I think that can be helped if the uh, particular the subject of the movie died young. 
you've less to fit in. Yeah. And so yes. talent is coming to mind in yeah. La Bamba yeah. or the Buddy Holly story or something like that. Exactly. Like, I mean, generally speaking, like, and this, this, you know, applies to music, but musical biopics, political biopics, whatever kind of biopics, you can either tell the entire story and you're condensing it down. You're taking out the most interesting parts or whatever and just shoving it all together. Or you take a very, very pivotal moment in that person's life. And then you tell that yeah. story, that, yeah. focus in on that. Generally speaking, I actually tend to prefer the ones where they focus in on the one aspect of the story, one moment in that person's life, because if it's a well-known person, chances are you already know kind of, you know, 50 to 70% of their life story. And you don't really need to kind of, you don't need to yeah. put on the blanks. And more often than not, a good script will kind of put all those other kind of aspects of their life in context into this. Around it, yeah. Correct, yeah, exactly. Like a good example, and it's not a musical biopic, but um, uh, Lincoln, I thought, did that really I was just thinking that, yeah. And Churchill was the same. Correct. Yeah. Well, now there's been a couple of Churchills uh, in terms of movies, and two, I think, two were made very close together. Yeah, there was one Obviously with Brendan one, Gleeson. Yeah, one was called Churchill, uh, the other was called something else. Uh, one of them was shit. Like yeah. one of them was really poor, and one was quite good. The one, and I'm not just saying. I'm not just saying this. Plus, the songs were shite in it. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't sing or anything. We'll fight them on the beaches. <laughs> we'll fight them on the land. Oh Lord! Love us a but the one with Brendan Gleeson was very good. I know that. I thought Brendan Gleeson did it really, really well. I yeah, I think that was actually that might have been a TV series. Now that I think about it, or that was a TV series. series. Yeah, uh, but um, but yeah, I mean, I find usually when they have a musical for any it was kind Gary of Gary Old, the Gary Oldman one. Oh, Darkest Hour, absolute shit. And all the odious apparatus of the Nazi rule, we shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end! Ah, uh, it was a bit much, yeah, it was a bit much. Mm. And then there was a, a Churchill uh, movie of that title, and it starred... Well, what about what about Champ's musical biopics that have have yet to be made? Who, whose story should we be seeing on the big screen? Right, well, okay. Oh, I'm I'm coming straight oh, in on well, this one. Straight uh, in, Ado. Or Simon does because I have a feeling we could be thinking about the same person. Absolutely, we are. Yeah, let me just read your mind. Read your mind. His uh, <clears throat> initials are F A S. Francis Albert from Hoboken, New Jersey. That's Come right. on, why is that not being done, Sinatra? <laughs> I know it's the it's the glaringly obvious one, along with your mm. Marvin Gaye one. Um, so there's been many, many attempts, I believe, to make uh, the life story of one of the greatest singers of all time, uh, chiefly with uh, Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese was in development. Brian's nodding furiously. He probably knows more than I do about this. Um, feverishly developing uh, uh, the Sinatra biopic for over eight years. And I know that can often be the case. Simon Films can take decades yeah. to get made in some, in yeah. some instances. And after oh. eight years of putting this together, scripting it, uh, hiring various directors, uh, looking at various cast people who play Sinatra, who played Dean Martin, and various other members of the Rat Pack, and influential figures uh, during that time, it all came to a halt, and he scrapped it. I think in 2017 because they couldn't get sign off from the Sinatra estate, the Sinatra family. I think it's it's his daughter Nancy who who runs that because there's elements of Frank Sinatra's life that are extremely controversial, including his uh, volatile personality and his. Uh, relationships and friendships with the mob that his family weren't comfortable with being told and Scorsese rightly was of the mind that if I'm telling this story it's the quote unquote warts and all 
version. It can't just be like a little glossy, oh, look look at him singing in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and look at all the Hollywood stars and the Kennedys and this and that. It had to be the the, the good side and the bad side of Frank Sinatra as well. So yeah. that mm. and that's a great shame that that hasn't happened because it is. They came very close. The closest I've ever seen to it was the Rat Pack Confidential. Anybody ever see that? Liliata. Yeah, I've read the book. The book is terrific. Sean Levy, Sean Levy, Sean Levy. Yeah, there's a movie version of it, and it's not bad at all. You know, it's not bad at all. Uh, it focuses on kind of the time in Vegas when they were they were appearing at uh, the Sands Hotel while filming Robin and the Seven Hoods at the same time. So kind of focus on that kind of madness when they were at the height of it with Sammy Davis and Dean and Peter Lawford, Joey Bishop. Party and, all night and sit in the <clears> all day. Party all night and a fil- film all day, go on the piss after the show. It was incredible, but it's up there to be done, isn't it, Brian? Can I ask you, Brian, if you were to do it now, right, if you were to make Sinatra now, who plays him? I know it depends on what era you're looking at, but if you are yeah. to say cover 20 or 30 years, who plays him? Well, I tell you a couple of the people um, Scorsese oh, yeah. was looking at. He oh, yeah, go for it, yeah. And we just need to go yes or no, right? Go for it. Sinatra, Al Pacino. No. No. De Niro as Dean Martin. No. No. John Travolta as Sinatra. No, Jesus no. Christ. John Hanks as Dean Martin. No. No. Got w- w- one more pairing for you. <clears throat> Chris Pine as Francis. And no mention of who's playing Sammy, by the way. I could see that. And Michael Bublé as Dean Martin. Bublé oh. wouldn't be bad casting for Dean Martin. Oh. No. I, I, Ed, Ed Smith is their oh. stand-in producer. Just <laughs> <laughs> He looks like he's having a hard Ed's about to tap he out. He vomited, did he? Stop this recording immediately. <laughs> <clears throat> he looked like he was ready to have a hernia. Now, hold on. You could, because you can do anything with uh, makeup and prosthetics and all that. You yeah, could. but also, but also, Michael Bublé, Michael Bublé will be the closest in personality to Dean because Dean. What? Uh, yeah, no, listen to me, because Dean famously Red. all that all that drunken stuff on stage was all an act. Dean yeah, was nope. married to the same woman for all those years. Didn't mess around on his wife basically worked and played golf. There's a famous sequence in the Rat Pack Confidential movie where they're gigging that night in the Sands Hotel, the show finishes, and they all make separate ways. There's a montage sequence where it cuts through the three bedrooms, and Sammy's in his bedroom with a couple of white broads because Sammy liked the white broads. Uh, it cuts to Frank's bedroom. He's got several women in the room with him, and then it cuts to Dean's bedroom where he's in bed with a glass of milk watching a cowboy picture. Well, that to me, yeah. that to me, well, he was the furthest from kind of the showbiz rock and roll. And actually, Michael Bublé fits that bill. Like, I think in comparison gray, but, yeah. to Sinatra. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's what I meant. In comparison to the other two, Jesus, they had like black books that were just unbelievably full. <laughs> All right, Simon, if we were to cast you in the movie of Sinatra and the Rat Pack, who would you play? I'd play Jilly, Frank's best friend. Hey, Jilly hey. Rizzo. Jilly Rizzo won the club in New York. Like, yeah, and your spaghetti meatballs. Or I play Joe Colombo, head of the Colombo family, who could have helped Frank through his career. Get out of here. Uh, okay, Brian, give us a give us a shout then about the musical biopic you want to see. Marvin Gaye, like the Marvin Gaye. Oh, Marvin Gaye, you said, yes, yeah, sorry. And I think, to be honest, I think it's a similar <clears throat> reason why um, similar reason why the Frank Sinatra story hasn't been made is the same reason for the Marvin Gaye story hasn't been made because number one, he died in such a violent fashion. Also was how, well, did, how did he die? His father shot him. His father shot him dead. Um, and, you know, he had like massive drug problems and all this kind of stuff. And also as well, like, you know, there are kind of a lot of question marks over like Marvin Gaye's sexuality that, again, 
you know, the family, the estate of Marvin Gaye are very keen to kind of keep kind of quiet and they don't really want to kind of talk about it and stuff like that because they just don't want to talk about it. But like his story is so interesting. Like the music that he made, again, so revolutionary. The fact that he, you know, started off in Motown and that very kind of clean cut, you know, I heard it through the grapevine, all that kind of stuff to Let's Get It On, which was, you know, very like raw and very sexual, obviously. And then, you know, goes through his follow period, like that whole album, Here My Dear, which he was basically forced to make because, you know, Barry Gordy and Motown, he had that big, huge falling out with and he had to make an album basically to pay off his divorce and stuff like this. Again, incredible story. And the thing of it is, is I think it would recast how uh, audiences view Motown, that whole era. It would definitely recast it in a different light. And I don't think people really want that. But I think it's a necessary story because that whole era, like the playola and all that kind of stuff as well mm. that was happening, like there's so much, it's so ripe for a story. But I think the, I suppose the powers that be, for lack of a better word, don't want that story out there. They don't want it to be told. Um, and like even another, I just, just now as I'm thinking about it, another story that again, I think would be a fascinating film, probably will never be made, is Rick James. Um, Rick James, if you don't know, he was this kind of like disco soul uh, singer, bass guitarist, had uh, just the most insane stories about him. Do any of you remember the Chappelle show that used to be on Comedy Central in the like early 2000s? As in Dave Chappelle? Yeah, Dave Chappelle, yeah. yeah. Remember he used to do the, those like skits in between the shows and like there was the Rick James one where yeah. Charlie Murphy would yeah, come yeah, out. Yeah. And, uh... I realized how high he was. Next thing you know, he's like, Charlie Murphy! I'm behind the bar and I'm serving drinks and Charlie bends over, I call, I said, Charlie, come here. Charlie, there's a new joke going around. Have you heard it? What is the five fingers? Say to the face. What? Slap. All those stories are true. Like the Charlie Murphy bits, those are all like pretty accurate like the whole idea like you punched him in the face with the ring and it was unity on it and all that kind of like those are like if anything mild there's a great book actually about rick james's life and like the stuff that he did would put your rap pack stuff to shame to shame they're choir boys compared to what he got up to but again you know a lot of the people that are involved in it some of them are still alive some of them don't really want these kind of stories kind of being turned into major films or whatever so i can understand like what i find is happening and this is what kind of puts me off a little bit about music biopics nowadays is that they are so sanitized they are so carefully constructed rocket man i think was one of the few musical biopics i've seen that the subject was willing to acknowledge. Yeah, a lot of them are. He was an asshole. You know when someone some dies and you're never going to hear it in bad said about no. at the funeral. It's the eulogy. It's all the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's what they do in in, in that regard with, with movies. It's only ever the mm. the good stuff. Rocketman did though. I mean, I, yeah, I wouldn't say Rocketman is it was yeah. a rare it was rare for mm. that. Like Walk the line probably was too, if memory serves me right. I mean, you did see some of the oh yeah him the, the shittier side of yeah. Um, Johnny Cash. Yeah, the fact that he was chasing June Carter Cash and smashing up guitars and getting drunk. Violently with, drunk, yeah. Yeah, and, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and like, violent. What about uh, Jamie Foxx's performance in Ray? Ray yeah. In the life story of Ray Charles, who probably in, there's some similarities with Marvin Gaye there in terms yeah. of drug abuse and, 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 and a dark side and all that. You see, I saw Jack Ladder the other night and he gave me $500 advance on my record. He also said he'd put me on the road with Low Folsom and pay me three times as much as you've been paid. No, that's a lie. Ain't no way he gonna put some blind man on the road. Think about it. 
I mean, you you need watching out for, and he ain't got the time to look after you the way I've been looking at you. Is that what you've been doing, Cassie? Watching out for me? Is that why you get paid double what I do? But that performance, I mean, that garnered a couple of Oscars, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, and rightfully so. I mean, like the way that Jamie Foxx, there's a brilliant video of Jamie Foxx talking about the first time that he met Ray Charles. Like, you know, and he came up to him and he felt his hands. Mm. He actually felt his fingers. Because, of course, he was blind. Well, yeah. But like he felt his fingers or whatever to see like, okay, have you got the right hands for this? Yeah, you have. Yeah, okay, sit down and we'll play it. And the two mm. of them started playing mess around. Because he did play the piano in the movie. Yeah, this was it. Like Jamie Foxx was like a gifted pianist before he did this role and he had really lobbied hard for it. And got it and won it. And, you know, I think as much as as much as, you know, you can do it very, very well where you can kind of um sync up a person's voice with the with the actor and like, yeah, like what dub, it. dub it, yeah, yeah, exactly what I was saying, dubbing it, yeah. You can always tell when it's real and it's always so much better. Yeah. And I think Jamie Foxx is one of the best examples of doing it live, doing it real, doing it in the camera and seeing it all being played out like doing it and doing it and doing it well. Yeah. That was LL Cool J. Maybe we'll make a movie about him someday. Any other particular artists you're you're fans of that you would like to see a biopic? Be? Well, I'd love yeah. to see one by. I'd love to see Louis Armstrong. I'd love to see Ada Fitzgerald. I'd love to see their stories. One that I do know that's in the works that's coming out. I don't know whether I'm excited about it or not. Is there's going to be a uh, musical biopic of ABBA Ooh. on the way? That wouldn't surprise me. I mean, they're, they're it's, it's, such a, a, it's a juggernaut of a brand, isn't it? Isn't it? And they've come back with the. The, the outer space tour hologram yeah, fucking beam me up yeah, Scotty yeah. thing yeah yeah I don't know if I'm yeah 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 I'm kind of like I like ABBA but like do I care enough to well is there a is, is, is there, there a story a, a, a story well yeah. here's the here's the thing is that it's it's being directed by our very own John Carney oh wow interesting yeah it was announced yeah. recently yeah and right? he's also penciled to do a biopic about George Gershwin I so heard he's that. right. He's right in that in that uh, field at the moment, but yeah, Abba is uh, is on the way. Apparently, now it could be a couple of years away, but it's it's slated to happen. Whatever that means. I think I'd be torn between seeing that and the the YouTube biopic. I don't know which uh, one I'd go I to. Uh, that YouTube biopic, I will be front row throwing stuff at the screen. But if you, that happens, I'm definitely going to. Yeah, I tell you, I am just waiting in the tall grass for that biopic. I've got my hatchet sharpened. Bono was a pox. That's going to be my. That is going to be my 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 lead my lead title for this. Bono was a pox. Michael Bublé is Bono. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> oh, awful, awful. I can't wait for that biopic. I am just going to slay this. And Al Pacino as the as uh, wow. Larry Bullen, yeah, <laughs> menacing man on the drum. I'll, I'll play. I'll play Paul McGuinness. That be all right. You can. You can be Paul. You, you can, can be Paul. Be. Yeah. Hello, Alan. Hello, Bono. <laughs> How's uh, how's the edge? The edge is fine. How's Adam Clayton? Adam Clayton is fine. <laughs> how's um, the drummer? The drummer is fine. When did you last see the gang? I saw them last uh, Thursday at a pop concert. Uh, who were playing? We were. Well, thanks to Brian Lloyd from entertainment.ie for being with us, not just with his cinema pick this week, which is the Railway Children Return, which is all nice and twee and all that good stuff, but also for his thoughts and insights on what movies, if you're a fan of musical biopics, some maybe you've missed that are worth getting stuck into. I think we got our money's worth out of them this week. We certainly did. And bear in mind, the Railway Children, as you described, is nice and twee and that, but he gave it 15 segments of chocolate orange out of 20. That's not bad. Ada, what did you learn this week, Mia Flair? Well, amongst all the things we uh, talked about this week, Simon, I learned that your wife 
the beautiful Lisa must be uh, have the patience of a saint if she's married to you for 17 years. <laughs> oh, and that, my friend, is why you weren't invited to the wedding. See ya! <laughs>